Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. We are in a series simply called Jonah from the book of Jonah, and uh, we happen to be in chapter three today. And so if you are brand new to our church, you are coming into the middle of a conversation that we've been having about this ancient story that we believe is a relevant story for our lives, that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Look at your neighbor and say, I see the Jonah in you. All right, just tell them. Say, I see the Jonah in you. We, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us, and, and this is why I believe Talking about the story of Jonah right before Easter is a God wink, what I call a God wink, that there, there are some preparations that God is wanting to do with us as a church before we get to Easter Sunday, which statistically speaking, we'll see more people at our gatherings that are unchurched and not really following Jesus than any other Sunday during the year. So it makes sense to me that we could be covering Jonah to prepare us for the possible revival that God is wanting to do with the Conejo Valley, with Thousand Oaks specifically. So I know uh, Josiah already prayed. I want to read to you the whole chapter in its entirety. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Say with me, a second time. Remember the first time he decided that he wasn't going to obey it and it didn't go well for him. So God recommissions him for the mission. He gives him a second chance. We talked about last week that we serve the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. What chance are you on? Here's the good news is that every day as a follower of Jesus, you get another chance. So I don't care what your yesterday was like. Today is a new day. The slate has been wiped clean, and God has given you another opportunity to fulfill the mission that he's given you for your life. Are you, are you glad about that, church? Every day is a heavenly do-over day. That's what I, I like to say. So God gives him the word a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it or proclaim to it the message I give you, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. I don't know how many of you have driven through a city that takes you a long time to drive through it. I always, when I see Nineveh, I always think of Vegas because when we lived in Vegas, like it took us like 50 minutes to drive from North Las Vegas all the way down to Henderson. Some of you, you've been to Las Vegas, but all you do is go to the Strip and leave. So that doesn't count. You don't, you don't know. It's a big city, over 2 million people. So you, you get the idea that, that Nineveh is a spread out city. And for those of you that weren't here before, Nineveh, what we described in the first week is that it, it is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. 
the superpower at the time of Jonah that he's giving this word to them. And it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Say with me. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent. I love that. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This has got to be the greatest revival that has ever like been recorded in like history. It's the go to revivals. I mean, these people that were evil, that were doing all these wicked things, they turn to God and they get right with God. But look at what happens. He gives them this eight-word message, and it completely turns this nation around. I would go on record to say this is the worst sermon ever preached. I mean, eight words, there's no hope, it's not full of life, it's not full of promise, it's basically doom and gloom. Like, you guys are all going to get destroyed, basically. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the message that God gave him, I think personally, that Jonah edited the message because as we are going to see next week, he didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to see God's compassion be extended to the Ninevites. He wanted them to be destroyed. And so in this whole message, we see doom and gloom, but then God uses it to turn this whole nation around. They were ripe for revival. I, I told you guys at the beginning of COVID that I believe that this season that we're entering into was a wake-up call that God was giving. I, I called it a warning shot. That I believed like the whole world going through this pandemic was God's warning shot to say, things aren't as stable as you thought they were. Things are not as secure as they thought they were. This invisible enemy brought the world to its knees. Just like that. Think about that. And I said, this, I believe, is God's warning shot to say, I'm coming back. And I said this, that the, the whole thing, the shaking, I called it, is going to lead to an awakening, which I believe is going to lead to a returning. So the shaking leads to an awakening, which leads to a returning. Because that's what happens when, when we start kind of getting uncomfortable with the season. Like, wow, things are not going the way I thought they were going to go. And this message that Jonah gave was super simple. And it's basically, hey, th this world as you know it is going to turn itself on its head. And things are going to come undone for you. And that led to them returning. 
So I hope this season has been good for you in the sense that it's returned you to the place that you should be walking with God. Hopefully it's returned you to a place where you should be as a spouse or as a, as a person for your family. But there is a great returning. And I believe our nation is ripe for a revival. I don't think we're there yet. And in some ways, I, I think we may be a little bit worse off than we were when the, the pandemic started because it seems like there's so much divisiveness out there. But I will quote something that the late revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said. He says, we will live without revival as long as we are content to remain without it. How many of you are praying for a revival for our nation, for our nation to turn back to God and, and for our nation to call on God and to see the blessing of God be able to come through our nation again? I'm praying for this all the time. And I believe that prayer is the way that a revival will always begin. And through this process, I believe that Jonah chapter 3 shows us the perfect recipe for a revival to take place. I, I believe that chapter 3 kind of gives us the ingredients. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these three things down because I believe if we take this seriously for our own life, not only are we positioning ourselves for a revival in our lives, but we're positioning our nation to experience the revival that I believe that God wants to bring for our nation. So here it is. Number one, write this down. It takes burning. It takes burning. Now, I'm not talking about going and burning down our cities or whatever. I'm talking about a burning internally. That before we should expect a revival out here, we should be praying for a revival in here. Think about where Jonah's at. Jonah had a personal revival with God in the belly of a fish. He got a hold of God. God got a hold of him. And through that personal revival, it set him up for this national revival that took place. I, I want to say it like this. Nothing can happen through you until it first happens to you. You can't get mad at the condition of our nation when in reality the condition of your own soul is messed up. How could you be mad at everybody else and the, the, the temperature of everybody else and how their, our culture is when in reality, you're messed up? There's things in your life that are not really good. And I believe that if we really take this seriously and say, God, I want to be right with you. The revival for our nation will begin with the revival in you. So start with you. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your following Jesus that you felt closer to Jesus than you do right now? Has there ever been a, a time in the history of you having faith in God that you felt closer to God than maybe perhaps you do right now? You know, I believe God is speaking to us about, I believe he's speaking to us the same way he spoke to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. Jesus had this prophetic word to the church at Ephesus in Revelation two, and he's saying, you're doing all kinds of great things. You're, you're really helpful to the poor, but this is what you've done. You've left, left your first love. 
And then he goes on to say, go back and do the things that you're doing before. Some of you, you've lost the passion for his name in your life. And maybe you can't pinpoint when things shifted, when you kind of you stopped feeling it, so to speak. But to see the fire of revival, we have to first become the flame. And we have to go back and do the things that we did before to fan the flame in our own hearts. You remember those days where you used to wake up early and you wanted to wake up early. Because you wanted to open the Bible and you knew that God, every time you opened the Bible, God was going to just speak to you about something relevant that is going on in your life through this ancient book that was written thousands of years ago. Do you remember the time that you would jump in your car and you couldn't wait to turn on some worship music as you traveled from your house to work to prepare you for everything that God was going to use you to do for that day? Do you remember the days that, man, you were involved and served and were in, 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 uh, in active duty with the, the church and outreach ministry, and you couldn't be at the church enough because you were just so hungry and wanting and yearning for more of God in your life? Maybe it's not so much like that anymore. And I, I've been praying a simple prayer for my own soul. God, I want more love, more power, more of you in my life. It's an old Maranatha song, isn't it? How many remember that song? And that's been my prayer. Because I don't want to leave this place of being passionately in love with God. Because I know as long as I'm passionately in love with God, that the 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 have to is never going to come. It's always going to be a want to. Has your want to been replaced by a have to? Because want to is relationship. Have to is religion. Can I say that one more time? Want to is relationship. Have to is religion. God doesn't want your religion. God wants a relationship. He wants your want to back. And this is how revival begins. It begins with you fanning the flame in your own heart to spark a fire of revival everywhere around us. R.A. Torrey gave this prescription for revival. He's an author and evangelist from the 19th, 20th century. He says, I have a theory that there is not a church, chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have revival provided there is a little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until he comes down. First, let a few Christians, there need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest I'm going to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together in prayer groups to pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use them as he as he sees fit in the winning of others to Christ. That's all. This is sure to bring revival to any church or any community. I've given this prescription around the world. It has been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed. It cannot fail. So it takes, it requires burning. Here's the second one. It requires wording. I think it was St. Francis 
a sissy that said, you preach all the time and occasionally you use words, but in order to get the word out, you have to use words. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So part of activating revival is actively sharing your faith with other people. Like God has called us to be active in sharing our faith with other people. Did you know that? Like we're all called as followers of Jesus to be missional with our lives, especially when it comes to our faith. Matthew 28, the last command that Jesus gives us, you know, many Bible, uh, Bibles will put a little sub, little text above this portion of Scripture and say the Great Commission. It says in verse 18 and 19, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, look at your neighbor and say, go. But not right now. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's a directive that Jesus is giving us as go. And some Bible scholars will say that Greek word is an interesting word because it kind of gives the connotation that, that you're to go in the sense of as you go. Like your whole life is missional. Everywhere you go, you are supposed to be making disciples. You're supposed to be bringing people into this amazing relationship that we get to enjoy with God through his son, Jesus. So here's my question to us as we want a revival in our own nation. How's that going for you? How are you in sharing your faith with other people? You know, I was doing some research about this idea of people sharing their faith. Do you know that many people who have been saved for many years have never shared their faith in Christ with another human being? That's interesting to me. The word evangelism kind of is getting a a bad uh, reputation lately. You, you say the word evangelical Christian to people and it immediately like, like makes people kind of like, oh, I don't like that. But really evangelism is from this Greek word yongelion and it, and it literally means gospeling. It's like we're supposed to be giving out good news. And I think it's so ironic that evangelical Christians have developed a bad reputation when the whole idea of the definition of evangelism is supposed to be sharing good news. So we must not be doing a really good job sharing good news if evangelism has become a bad word. Isn't that interesting? So I, I'm kind of like taking a step back going, wow, I know they weren't the best words that Jonah could have used, but praise God he opened his mouth and he said something. Like how many people around our life could possibly experience a change in their life if we simply opened our mouth and used words and helped people understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I had a dream years ago that wrecked me in a good way. And in this dream, I was 
around all these people. We're all excited, and we're all loading up on an Amtrak train. And we're all excited that we're going somewhere. But it was weird. This Amtrak train was actually going to heaven. This was, this was like rapture Amtrak version. I don't know. This is like we're all getting an Amtrak train. I, I, may, I might have eaten some ice cream before I went to bed. Um, so I'm, we're all getting in this train. And I get a window seat. And I'm super excited that I get the window seat. And this train is starting to take off. We're all in this train. And as the train is taking off and, and as we're going into the air. And I'm super excited. A friend on the outside that I recognize his face comes running up to the train like a movie and starts banging on the window. And he starts yelling at me. He says, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell? You knew about this and you didn't say a word to me. And on that note, the train just kept going up in the air and that friend just got more and more distant. And I remember waking up with this feeling of I have got to share this with everybody that God has placed in my life. That I have to believe that nobody is in my life by coincidence. Everybody in my life is here by providence. And it's my job as a follower of Jesus to make sure that they know the truth about heaven. They know the truth about God. And they definitely know the truth about Jesus. And I became an evangelism wrecking ball. I couldn't, I couldn't say it enough to people because of that dream. Because here's the reality. I've been in rooms where people have died that didn't know Jesus, and I've been in the room the moment people died with Jesus, and I'm telling you, there is a difference. What Jesus has done for our lives and what God has allowed us to experience in Jesus is amazing. Let's think about this for a second. Everyone's about being vaccinated. Imagine there is a disease that is on this planet and doesn't have a 99.7% cure rate. Let's say it has a 99.7 death rate. Pretty much you get this, you're going to die. And this disease is out there and you're a scientist and You've cracked the code. You, you figured it out. Like this, like, wow, all I have to do is give this injection and, and people that have this disease are going to be cured on the spot. And so you go into your lab and you create all these vials of this, this cure, this vaccine, and, and you're going to, you know, go out and, and inject it as many people as you can. And everybody that is infected that gets this injection is going to be cured. Can you imagine like walking somewhere and you know you have plenty of vials to go around to everybody that you come in contact with, but decide that there's some people that you're just not going to give that cure to. You might say that would almost be borderline cruel to know that you have the cure for their disease and you're refusing to give it to them. Am I speaking to somebody's heart? We have the cure for the disease called separation from God. And Jesus has given us access to God. He's given us forgiveness of sin. And through Jesus, we can experience everlasting life. It's one thing to be cured of a disease that will kill your body on earth. It's another thing to be cured of a disease that could kill your body for all eternity. God wants us 
to be his evangelists, to share the gospel with other people that are far from him so they can build a relationship with him so they can live in the power that he can give them for their life. And we're the cure. We become his carriers. Here's the three biggest reasons I've found in the history of following Jesus why people refuse to share their faith with other people. Number one, I don't feel qualified. Man, if, if people really knew the junk that I'm still dealing with and I'm still trying to work out of my life, like, hey, once I, I get this stuff in order and, and in control, then I'll, I'll feel qualified to be able to give out this amazing news. Well, good luck to you on that. Because <laughs> once you feel like you've maybe conquered one hill, you figure out there's another hill to be conquered. We're always a work in progress. You never arrive, my friend. We're all climbing from one hill to the next hill. So if you're waiting to feel qualified, you will never arrive. But what I found is that when we realize how messed up we are, it seems like God goes out of his way and he uses us a little bit more than he does the people that feel like they're a little bit more perfect than we are. God loves to use messed up people to bring his message to this world. And if you're a messed up person, you're a perfect candidate for God to use to tell somebody else about the love of God. Because here's the, here's the cool thing about this. As people look at your life and say, wow, if God loves you, then I believe he can love anybody. So yeah, sign me up for that. So don't let that shame stop you from sharing that message. Because it's not about your perfection. It's about God's perfection through his son, Jesus. And that's why we need Jesus. Number two is I hear this all the time. I don't feel like I have enough knowledge. Well, good luck to you on that. In, in a way, as I've followed Jesus for 25 years, I feel like I know less now than I did 25 years ago. How many else are with me? It's like, how are we in these finite minds supposed to figure out an infinite God? But here's the reality. You know enough about God that you have a personal relationship with God. And that's really what it comes down to. That's what you need. You need to understand that. And here's what I feel. If you may not be able to give doctrines and theology and, and be able to walk through you know, with an atheist about all the reasons scientifically and archaeologically and historically why they should believe in God, here's something nobody can argue with, and that is your personal story. So I believe every follower of Jesus should be able to tell their personal story in five minutes or less to somebody else. And some of you have never told your story to anybody. You've never practiced sharing your story with anybody. But can I use today's message to challenge you to figure out how to tell your story in five minutes or less? And here are the three parts that every story should contain when you're trying to communicate your faith with somebody else. Number one, what was your life before Christ came into your life? You don't have to spend a lot of time on that. But tell, what was it like? How was your marriage? How was your family? How was your health? How were some of your habits? And here's the second part of everybody's story, and that is, what was that like moment, that, the moment you said yes to following Jesus? Go back, remember that day. Maybe it was somebody that shared their faith with you. Maybe it was a, a church service like this. And here's the third part. What has your life been like now that you're following Jesus? 
the marked differences in your life now versus you BC, before Christ. So every story should contain three parts, before, during, and after. And write it out. Like, like make a little Facebook post about it. Here's my story. And then tell it to a friend. Say, hey, can I practice sharing my story with you? And, and the more you practice doing this, the more apt you are to share this with other people because you're like, I've said this story so many times. I know how to say it. And most of us don't say it because we've never practiced it. So say it. Get it out there. And here's the third thing is I'm afraid of being rejected. Nobody likes being rejected. You ever go through the mall and those, those poor kiosk workers that are always trying to put lotion on you and perfume on you. You know, you know those people? And, you, and you, you try not to make eye contact with them. You know, you're just like, I'm gonna look down. And they're like, hey, you know, hey, just come here. Let me, let sample, sample, you don't put it on you. And, and, and you're like, no, thank you, no, thank you. And you start running, you know, like running away from them. And I think a lot of times when it comes to us sharing our faith, we feel like that kiosk worker. Like, people are just going to run right by me. They're, they're going to walk by me. They're going to not try to make eye contact with me. And evangelism is, is nothing like being a kiosk worker at the Oaks Mall. It's way more organic than that. And, and here's the tension I want you to feel. So what? You share it with a friend, and, and they don't want to talk about their faith. Or maybe you share it with a coworker, and, and all of a sudden, they stop inviting you to have lunch with them. You know, th th there is tension there. That maybe if you go out on a limb and you start sharing Jesus with somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, they make it a little awkward with you. But here's the tension I want you to feel. When it comes to their life changing for all eternity versus maybe the risk of you and them being awkward with each other for a, for a, a little bit, it's well, it's well worth it. It's so worth it. Just trust me on that. Because here's what we need to really come to terms with. Are we more concerned about the opinion of people? Or are we more concerned about the opinion of God? Are, are, we, are we wanting to be a man or woman pleaser? Or are we wanting to be a God pleaser? And I don't say that to put condemnation on you. But I say that to you to, to just kind of wake you up to the reality that sometimes we're people pleasers to our own fault. Because that person that we thought, they'll never want to hear about my faith, are probably the very ones that need to hear about your faith. The very ones that you think would never come to church with you are the very ones that will accept the invite when you give them an invite to come to Easter service with you. I see it all the time. I remember years ago, it, it, it was marked in my memory now forever because it was such a... A woke moment for me. I, I, a friend of mine worked at a car dealership. He goes, man, I got this car, Jim. I, I, man, I really feel like, like God wants you in this car. And I'm like, you're a car salesman. Of course you see that. But, but it turned out, I, I went there and, and I, I love this truck. And he, and he uh, got all the deal. And then he put me into the finance manager's office. If you've ever been to a car dealership, you know that's, that's the guy that really starts putting it heavy on you, right? Uh, somebody call, called me and, and said, uh, did you go into the finance manager's office? Like a finance, the finance guy. He's the one that lies to you. And I go, no. Nah. 
So, so I'm in the finance manager's office, and this is like, you know, he's like the, the guy next to the guy that owns the dealership. And he says, so, I hear you're a pastor. And I go, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he goes, well, what is that all about? What's a pastor? And he had never really heard about Jesus or faith or church. Or, and I said, wow, man, I'm glad you asked. And I told him my story. And as I'm telling him my story of how I came to Christ and what Christ has done in my life, he starts crying. This like finance manager at this car dealership, and he's crying. I said, man, I want to pray for you, man. I know God's working in your heart right now. He says, I need God. And I know that you're not here by accident. Like God put you in my office on purpose. And I got to pray with that guy. He received Christ in that office. And I was thinking to myself, what just happened? (laughs) I came in here to buy a car and this guy ends up receiving Christ. The guy that I thought like was least likely to be open to me sharing my story with him. And he ends up praying a prayer, receiving Christ on the spot. And so we get done with our prayer. He's so happy that the, you know, the phone starts ringing, doors start knocking. And, and he goes, you know, he says, you talked to me about 20 minutes. He goes, not one knock on my door, not one phone call on my phone. He goes, that never happens to me. He says, that's just another sign to me that I needed God in my life. Like God quieted all the noise down so that you could tell me what you needed to tell me. And he hugged me and I left. I was like, wow. So the person that you think is least likely to receive the gospel and to hear your story is probably, just like the Ninevites, they're probably waiting for somebody to share this news and to talk to them about this, all right? So here's the third thing, and I got to get ready here, and that is it requires turning. So you, you got the burning, you got the wording, now you've got the turning that at some point for revival to take place, it's one thing to hear the message, it's another thing to respond to it. That for the Ninevites, it meant a turning away from how they were living their life. And I like what it says in verse 5. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And putting on sackcloth was an ancient tradition for them to weep or mourn or grieve over the way that they've been living their life. And and here we see a brokenness in them to say, We don't want that anymore. We want to turn our lives to God. The biblical word for this turning is a word that we call repenting. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's a turning that is an essential part of the reviving, that you can't keep going the same direction and expect to see a difference in your life. There there has to be a turning involved. The first message that Jesus preaches as he starts his ministry, Matthew 4, verse 17, from the time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change Directions is what Jesus' message was at the very start of his ministry. And every time there's repenting, 
There's always God bringing a relenting. He's turning away from the plans of destruction and wickedness that are coming against us as we turn away from those very same things that are happening. So if we refuse to turn, we're going to inevitably find trouble in our life because God's standards don't move. So he's telling us, this is how I created everything to work, and and I'm giving you the directive, change directions, or else it's not going to end well for you. That was Jonah's message. Like, you guys in 40 days are going to see calamity like you've never seen it before, and here's the edited, unless you change directions. Your, Your trajectory right now is heading for a crash. And that's the word for a lot of you right now. If, you, if your life continues to move down the road that it's going down, it's going to not end well for you. It kind of reminds me of this video I saw years ago, and I thought it was so good, and it's something we need to see this morning. Go and watch this. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Over. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course. Over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So, this is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic Fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is a lighthouse, mate. It's your call. Hello? Captain? I think he's gone. Fair enough. <laughs> God's the lighthouse. We're like, I need God to move. I need God to move. I need God to move. No, for you, for you to see God move, you have to move and change the course of the direction that you're headed. What's the trajectory of your life right now? If it keeps going the way it's going, what's the end? Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I want to pray as we end our time together for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any ways that your life is moving, that God is using this message today to get you to turn. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. 
your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.